0: Uh, as many of you know, I've, I've re-taken up golf in the last couple of years, and I've started kind of actually trying to get better, which is a dangerous thing, and so I started reading around, reading some people and some things, and I've come across uh, my favorite story. is about a man named Jack Grout. Jack Grout was a teacher, a golf teacher, an instructor down in Florida, and uh, he's best known for being Jack Nicklaus's instructor, and every spring, without missing a single time, every spring before Jack would, before the golf season would begin, Jack Nicholas, the greatest golfer ever, even though he had won multiple majors and more tournaments than anybody could count, he would go to Mr. Grout and he would say, Mr. Grout, would you teach me how to play golf? And Jack would look at him and say, well, this is how you hold a club. And Nicholas would say, like this? He goes, no, no, not quite like this. Ah, perfect. And he would lead him through every step of the swing from grip and stance to follow through. And, and there was a reason for that. Jack Nicholas knew that to be a great golfer, he didn't need to come up with a golf swing that nobody else was doing. He needed to do the proper golf swing correctly and better than anybody else was doing. He didn't need to get away from the basics. He needed to perform the basics perfectly. Because... Let's just say you're me. And uh, I, you know, I'm trying to get better at golf, and I ask Michael Boyd, uh, Michael, teach me how to make, do the golf swing, and he teaches me. And I say, Michael, that feels weird. Nothing about this feels normal. And he says, Ricky, that's because you're bad. A normal golf swing to you f- is terrible. What feels comfortable to you is hitting the ball out of bounds. If you're standing over the golf ball and it feels natural, do something different. I say all that to say because uh, it's like that with the gospel. We are so accustomed to trying to earn approval, to doing things on our own. We're so accustomed to, to effort and trusting ourselves that what feels natural for us is to listen to the accuser and to agree with him and to say, I, he's right, I am a hypocrite, I am a liar, I am a failure. What feels natural to us is guilt and shame. And if you go to bed with, with mommy guilt or daddy guilt or, or, or shame and failure, it's because you're doing what comes natural to you. And Paul is saying, don't do what comes natural. If you're doing what comes natural, stop. Live by faith. Trust that you are in Christ. His garments are on you. His righteousness is on you. Live out of who you are. Stop trying to perfect Christ's work by your own efforts. Right, He asks that question. It's a rhetorical question. He says, uh, having begun by the Spirit, are you now perfecting yourselves through effort, through the law? And we all go, well, yeah. Isn't that? I mean, that's Christianity. That's the Christianity we were taught, right? Uh, the Christianity most of us were taught was, okay, you've done a lot of bad things in the past. God has forgiven those. Now do better. Better. Sorry, my pointer got out of control. Uh you know, and and we think that and we believe, honestly, what a lot of us believe is right after I was converted, I should have died then. You know, the best thing that could have happened would have been if I had stepped out in front of a car right then, gotten killed, because God still liked me then. But every day since my conversion, I've been kind of going down a step, down a step, down and then, you know, every now and then I'll rededicate my life and go back and then go down a step, and d- rededications and... We need yearly revivals so we can just kind of keep doing this spiral. Stop. That is not Christianity. That is not the truth. The truth is that God is smiling upon you. You just don't see it. You refuse to see it. Because you're so worried about your own actions. We're so we're so intent on On earning God's approval, that we never notice that we have it. We're so we're so intent on striving to please God that we never notice that He is pleased. That His words, "Here is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased," are for us. Are for us. And the truth is, every day we have to make the conscious choice to live by faith, to live out of who we are in Christ. To live not trusting our identity and our performance, but trusting God. Not trying to earn his approval, but receiving his approval. That is living by faith. So please stand as we go back to the basics with the Apostle Paul as he gives us what is probably the clearest, most concise uh, explanation of the gospel uh, in the New Testament. Hear the word of the Lord. We're going to start with verse 5 and go through verse 14. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to do them. Now, it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit of faith. Thus far the reading of God's Word. All men are like grass, and all of our glory is like the flowers of the field. And the grass withers and the flowers fall, but not God's Word. God's Word stands forever. You may be seated. Every day we have to make this conscious choice to live by faith. I I want you to see, first of all, that the Apostle Paul does not, this is not an evangelistic message. He's not talking to unbelievers. He is talking to the church. And he makes it very clear, you have already believed, you've already started, you've already begun by the faith in the gospel. And that's an important message to us. We tend to think this message of the gospel, that Jesus uh, went under the curse for us and, and became a curse for us, that's a message for unbelievers, we, we want to say. And that's a message, you know, that's how we get started, but we're, we're beyond that. And he's saying, no, 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 no. You never get past the basics of the gospel. Just like Jack Nicholas never got past the basic golf swing, you never get past it. There are infinite applications, and there is deep depth, but you never get beyond it. And, and the gospel, if, if you're doing something wrong, just like if your golf ball is going out of bounds, you did something wrong. It's not the ball's fault, right? I yell at the ball. I throw the club. It's neither of their faults. It's my fault, but I can't throw me. Uh, if, if you're hitting the ball out of bounds, you did something wrong. If you're going to bed feeling guilty, you don't have the gospel right. If you're going to bed feeling like a failure, you don't have the gospel right. You're not applying it. So let's go back over it and remember what it is. First of all, let's look at what Christ did for us. He redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us uh, what's the curse of the law why is the law, first of all why is the law cursed then what is the curse and then we'll look at how Jesus became the curse what what why is the law cursed the law is a curse because you can never finish it it's a, it's an escalator you never get to the top of The best you can possibly do through the law, or if you prefer the terms, through your own efforts, through your uh, Christian obedience, whatever terminology you want to use, it doesn't matter. The best you can possibly get to is zero. You understand what I mean? It's, it's It's like cleaning, actually. Uh, if you had, you know, we, we hired Kurt last, uh, this last year to take care of the grounds. And if you had come up to the church grounds on Thursday, right after Kurt had cleaned the, the, the uh, grove, there wasn't a single leaf or limb in it, you would have said, wow, you did an amazing job. If you came in on Sunday, you probably looked at it and went, well, I guess Kurt hasn't been working this week. Right? It's, it, it's a never-ending job to keep something clean. Dirt is always just waiting there. Nature is always waiting to take something back. That's the way it is with keeping the law. You, okay, you did good today. Like, If you were to wake up in the morning extra early, pray. Have your quiet time. Make your breakfast for the family. Thank them for eating your breakfast. Wash their dishes. Drive to work. Oh, there's a car over to the side of the road. I better pull over. Ask him if he has everything he needs. Drive him to the mechanic. Get to get almost to work. See a man begging for money. Go and ask him what he needs. Share the gospel with him. Drive him downtown to John three sixteen. Come back. Go to work. Make sure everybody else is doing well in their work. Help everybody else with their tasks. Then do my tasks. Putting people before me all day long. Get home. I'm not exhausted. I have plenty of time to serve my family. Plenty of time to pray with my children, read the Bible with them, help them with their homework, tuck them into bed, and then go to bed saying, thank you, Jesus, for all these opportunities to serve you. Great. You did your job today. Do it again tomorrow. You earned nothing extra. You just did what you were supposed to do today. That's it. It's the living by the law, trying to justify yourself, trying to earn God's approval with the same way you earned your parents' approval. It's like uh, it's like Wesley and the Princess Bride. Every night he would go to bed and the dread pirate Roberts would say You did good today, Wesley. I'll most likely kill you tomorrow. That's the law. Okay, you did good today. I'll most likely kill you tomorrow. That's the curse of the law. It's never satisfied. You'll never keep it perfectly. But what? why does the law bring a curse? The word curse is weird, isn't it? Last night I watched this movie. Any couple, I was, I'd give it a six. It was a six and a half movie. And... um Did the Julia Roberts, George Clooney's new one. And there's this island. Any couple that goes to this island before they're married will be cursed. And they'll never have happiness in their marriage. That's kind of what we think. Like, curse means bad luck, right? And this guy tried to propose to his girlfriend there and ended up, he went down on a knee and came up and hit her in the head and, you know, broke her nose. Like, that's what we think of when we think of curse. We think of kind of, honestly, pretty dumb things, right? Bad luck. That's not what the Bible means, obviously. Uh, the Bible, in the Bible, whenever you see the word blessing, happiness, uh, God blessing his people with the glory of God, it's always his face. The, the, the final phrase of, of the Aaron's blessing, Lord, t- may the Lord turn his face toward you. And curse, whenever you hear the word curse, or, or the, op- the opposite of blessing, woe or punishment, it's always God turning his face away from you, not getting his smile, not getting his presence. And it's, it's simply, why, why is the law connected to that? Well, all relationships are like that. All relationships have laws, you know that. You know that so implicitly, you may not even know what those laws are. But all relationships have laws, and if you break those laws, you lose the relationship. And if you keep the laws, you get the smile, the the love of the person you're in a relationship with. For instance, let's say um, there's this couple, young couple, middle-aged couple. I don't care how old they are. And they're sitting down, they like each other, and they're attracted to each other, and they they decide they want to get married. And so they're going to have a they, their, their counselor says, "Well, you need to have a conversation before you get married about expectations." And so they sit down to talk about the expectations. and And the the, the 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 female says, "Well, you need to know that that I grew up in an alcoholic family, and just the sight of alcohol it it makes me nauseous, and I get so scared, and I'm anxious around it. And so if if I just can't stand to be around anybody who has been drinking." And the guy says, "Okay, that's good." you need to know that I'm going to have two martinis every night at five, and on Saturdays, I'm going to start drinking at noon, and on Sundays, I, that's just what's that's just how it's going to be. I want to watch football and drink, and so as long as we're okay with that, everything's good, and then he says, and while we're on the topic of rules, um, I'm deathly allergic to cats. One cat hair can make my eyes swell up. If a, if a cat jumps in my lap, I'm most likely going to have to go to the hospital, I'm, Going want anaphylactic shock, and I just can't be around them at all. And, and she says, oh, that's great. Oh, thank you for sharing that information with me. I have ten cats, and they will always live with me. Now, you want to get married? And, and, and they're so love-blind and stupid, as, as, as engaged couples always are, they say, yeah, we can work it out. It might just work for us. Right, And all of us around them will go, no, don't do it. You got no chance. You're coming into the relationship breaking the laws of love. And the same is true of God. When we uh, he only has two rules. Love me more than you love yourself. Love me with all your heart, strength, soul and mind. And love all of my children. That's all you got to do. And we say, "Yeah, but no. I want to trust me." I want to me do it. You know, the first sentence we learned to speak as a two-year-old: "Me do it." I just want to me do it. That's all. And 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 we're breaking the law of the relationship, and all other sins come out of that independence. And so Jesus has to become the curse for us. It's it's an interesting text. It's honestly it's hard to translate uh, how. It would make much more sense to us if we say, say Jesus underwent the curse for us. But it shows how so intimately related he gets uh, to the, the punishment of sin, to the curse of sin, that he actually becomes it. it the same happens to us in Second uh, in Corinthians 5, the other, I think, most c- clear and concise explanation of the gospel, where Paul says, He who knew no sin became sin for us. Galatians 3, he becomes the curse. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, he becomes sin. He he undergoes the separation from God. He goes into that darkness. We, his children, are lost in that darkness, and the only way he can get us out is to go into it himself. And we go, well, why would that be so bad? And the truth is, you know, that the more it hurts, the, the, the more intimate you are, the closer you are to someone, the more it hurts when they abandon you. If, you know, someone goes out on one date with you and is like, yeah, this ain't working, bye. Okay, you know, you might remember their name five years later, you might not. If someone who's lived with you for 20 25 30 years abandoned you it hurts it takes years to overcome those kind of scars if your mother or your father abandons you it hurts it takes years to overcome that kind of trauma and when we look at the case of the son of god and the father of god the fa- god the father they they've been in this intimate passionate loving relationship for all eternity both link, both in terms of length of time and in terms of intimacy, nothing else compares to it. They're so intimate that there's no clear place where the, the son ends and the father begins. It's so long that it has no beginning and no end. They've just always been there. The, the core fact of the universe is that there's always been the father and the son loving each other smiling upon each other the 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 birth of the world and all the people on it comes out of this loving relationship and then when jesus comes to to find his children out of the darkness the relationship is lost when he prays on the from uh the garden of gethsemane the night before he goes to the cross and He goes into horror, we're told, sweating drops of blood, because for the first time, he's not hearing his father's voice when he prays. His prayers are not being answered. And he goes to the cross, and and on the cross, he doesn't scream out, my back, man, my back hurts. Why did y'all hit me in the back so many times? He doesn't Scream out about his hands. He, Man, that's, there's a lot of nerve cells in my hand. Why don't you stick a nail into my hand? But he screams out about his father abandoning him. My God, my God, why have you abandoned? He experiences the fullness. He becomes the curse for us. He becomes the curse for us. He comes into the darkness... And finds us so that we can have the blessing of Abraham. What's the blessing of Abraham? He was counted righteousness. And that is the work of Christ on us. He took the curse for us so that he could put his blessing on us. The work of Christ on us is his righteousness. So that when we stand before God, we stand before God in Christ. In Christ. And, and I know y'all know that when you're in these walls. Are you going to remember that tomorrow morning? Are you going to remember that tonight when you're counting out all the ways that you failed? When you're, you know, when I'm praying, do I remember it? This was such a, a stark lesson for me last spring when I, I went on a prayer retreat. And what you need to know about me when I go on a prayer retreat is um, I do everything possible to avoid prayer. I avoid prayer as long as possible, so I get to the cabin, check it out, okay, that's pretty good, kind of what I expect, yep, just like the pictures, okay, better go get some food, go into town, get some food, come back out to the cabin, set it out, well, better unpack my bags, unpack all my bags, better unpack all those books I brought that I'm not going to read, bring, I get all the books out, set out my little pad and paper, okay, yeah, well, I don't really want to pray in here. I better go to the lake to pray. So getting in the car, drive another 15. And is, is there anything I can do on my phone? No, the phone doesn't have a signal. That's why I have to go so far away for my prayer retreats, right? Okay, well, there's nothing else I can possibly do but pray. Here we go. I start screwing up my emotions, get ready to really just get some intense time with God And this last spring, I heard, or I felt, or I thought, whatever you're comfortable with, God say, why do you have to be sad for me to hear you? Why do you think you have to earn your way into my presence by being sad or by being serious? Why do you think that? Can't we just be together? Can't we just enjoy each other? And it was a revelation. I, I, I'm always feeling like I have to earn my way into God's joy, into his presence. And we don't. We don't because his righteousness is upon us. And that, that may sound weird. I, I keep saying it. I've demonstrated I put a coats on Jonathan. I'm doing everything I can. And you're still saying, I don't get it. But you do get it. You get it. If you did, How many of you cheered at a sporting event or for a sporting event yesterday? How many of you watched a sporting event yesterday? Raise your hand. Liars, more of you that. Say you're not even raising your hands. Okay, did you cheer? Were you pulling for somebody? Yes. Why? Because I know them, and I watch them grow up, and I care about them. Right? That's why everybody who's an OU fan just loves Baker. Baker's their buddy. They never met Baker. Baker doesn't know you. That's why everybody, OSU fan, just talks about Barry like he's their uncle, right? Barry, you remember Barry? How great Barry did. You don't know Barry. Barry certainly doesn't know you. I have had a little boy uh, back in Mississippi who was just such a a saint. Everybody in in Mississippi is a Saints fan. And he was such a Saints fan that when when, uh, Drew Brees finally got some record he just started crying he was so happy he's never met drew Brees. drew Brees doesn't know you why do you love these people so much because they wear your jersey if baker mayfield went to texas you would hate him if barry sanders went to ou you would despise the thought of him right but they wear your jersey and so you cheer for them so you're for them. That is imputed righteousness. You are where you're on Jesus' team. You're one of Jesus' friends. You, you do this every time you let your kids have a sleepover. Why are you letting these strangers live in your house? Letting them have your food, letting them get have access to your televisions and all your valuables. Why? Because you're imputing the righteousness of your son upon them. You do understand how this works. You just need to receive it from Jesus. God looks on you in Christ. You're already in Christ. You don't have to try to please God. He's already pleased. You don't have to earn God's approval. He's already approved. He's already said of you, here is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That is Christ's work on you. And the last thing we see in this text is Christ's work in you. The way that we might receive, the bless, the, in Christ, the blessing of Abraham. What's the blessing of Abraham? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Might come to the Gentiles, that's us, so that we might receive the promised Spirit, the Holy Spirit, through faith. What's this promised Spirit? The, the Holy Spirit working in us. That's the work of God in us. And, and the Holy Spirit is working in us to do what? To make us look like Jesus. Right? That's our favorite, our favorite passage. Everybody, every Christian's favorite verse is the is is well, it's our favorite half verse, right? God works all things together for good of those who love Him. Stop. Period. End. Nothing else. We're not going to go on and read the part that says that they might be conformed to the image of Jesus. Because getting conformed to an image—that's hard. That sounds like it would hurt, doesn't it? Kind of almost a picture of like a, an image being put on you. I'm going to make your face look like this mask, um, and it is like that. It's a pretty mask. Like uh, for instance, last a few weeks ago, I described imputation by, by pointing to the screen. Remember that? And I said, "What are you looking at? You're looking at a what? Glad y'all were listening. White screen. That's right. You're looking at a white screen. What do you see? You see a car, you see words, you see a car that's not driving off the cliff. So, what does the Holy Spirit do? God looks at us and he doesn't see a sinner, he sees his son. But what does the Holy Spirit do? He sneaks in, and when you're not looking, he's painting over the screen. He's got a little palette of paint, right? And he's painting in the blue, and he's painting in the black. So that by the end, by the end of your life, the end of whatever, when you turn the projector off, you still see the same picture. He's conformed you to the image of His Son, and He does that. He does that through His Word. You read His Word, and you're like, oh, the fruit of the Spirit's joy. Well, that's a shocker. I thought the fruit of the Spirit was grumpiness. I hope. I don't know. I would have sworn it would have been cynicism. i got to change my whole aspect, right? He... he conforms us to the to his image through our friends. They look at us and go, Do you know you have a chip on your shoulder, or is that just for fun? And we're like, oh, that hurt. Maybe I need to change. He conforms us to the image of his son through through difficulty. You know that that strange, weird passage in James chapter one, where he says, Count it all joy, brothers. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials we want to look at james and go are you inebriated right now trials and joy are two different things bro and why would we count it joy when we fall into trials because trials produce steadfastness and through that steadfastness the, the work of god in you is being perfected you are being perfected the holy spirit's using everything to to conform you to the image of Christ. And how do we receive that? We receive it by faith. We trust. We live a life trusting that he's at work. Good news and bad. God's at work. You know, my son had a car wreck last night. God's at work. I don't know how you sleep at night if you don't believe that. The Holy Spirit was there. God the Father was watching. And He's going to conform my Son to the image of Christ through the work of my pocketbook and the police tickets and all the good things that come because God's at work. Receive that. Count it joy. Trust Him. Live by faith, not through effort. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, I pray that we would. It's hard. It's just hard to believe that you love us, that you approve of us. It's hard for us to live out of that, to believe that that is the starting point. It feels like that's the finish line that we're working toward. And, Father, I pray that you would Give us the faith to to receive Christ. Give us the faith to rest in Christ. Give us the faith to rejoice in Christ. Amen.